Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. John Piper again says this, Christ is worth more than life. Christ is worth more than falling in love. Christ is worth more than marrying and having children. Christ is worth more than seeing my children grow up and become independent. Christ is worth more than making a name for myself. Christ is worth more than finishing my career. Christ is worth more than the dream spouse and the dream house and the dream cruise and the dream retirement. Christ is worth more than all my unfinished plans and dreams. Open God, oh my soul. are some powerful words. Something deep down resonates when we hear that Christ is worth more than all of those things that are so valuable to us in this life. At the same time, our desire to serve self makes us question that statement. As Pastor Ricky challenges us in today's message, when we start living in a way that acknowledges the insignificance of our most prized possessions, relationships, or goals, it will result in a radical change of focus from serving self to all-out service to our Savior. Let's join Pastor Ricky now for part two of his message, To Live as Christ, To Die as Gain, from the book of Philippians, chapter one. Because of Christ, because Christ has offered himself for us and our sins, because we stand righteous before the Lord because of what Christ has done, this is what our eternity will be like according to the Bible. Hebrews 12 tells us that our spirits will be made perfect and our struggle with sin will be over. Those things that dog us, those things that we can't kick, those habits that seem to have us wrapped up, that we struggle against, they'll finally be over. Luke 16 says that the pain of this world will be over. Pain can take all kinds of forms, physical pain, debilitating spiritual or emotional pain, that will be over. Revelation 21 says that every sorrow will be healed and never return. Revelation 6 says that we will find full and lasting rest for our souls. Man, have you ever just felt weary, friends? And not not, not just tired, but weary, where you feel it in your bones like, "I, I hate this. Heaven will mean rest for us. And John 14, Jesus claims that he himself will prepare a place for us to live with him forever. And Revelation gives us this beautiful picture that we will experience fellowship with all the saints, that we will feast, right? I don't know what's gonna be at the feast, but I'm sure that it's something good, that when the designer of the Grand Canyon goes to work on a meal, I bet it's decent, right? that we will experience unknown, unimaginable joys. And see, to Paul, that word depart, he says, it's better for me to depart and be with Christ. That's a nautical term. This word depart is this idea of, of taking a ship, the ship like leaving its moorings and heading out for another destination. Death is just the boat. So you get on the boat and you go to sleep and you wake up in glory. It's not the abyss. But Paul, listen, Paul, I'm sure he's looking forward to all of that. He's going to write some of that later. But the thing that he has on the forefront of his mind is it is better for me to depart and what? And be 
with Christ. See, Paul knows that the man who stopped him on the road to Damascus and saved him will be there his savior, his Lord, the one who walked with him through every trial, the one that he proclaimed in city after city, Jesus himself, God himself will be there. And this is what Paul is looking for. He knows that the longing of every human heart is to return back to fellowship in joyful eternity with God. And he says, that is gain. John Piper says this, You add up all the losses that death death will cost you, your family, your job, your dream retirement, the friends you will leave behind, your favorite bodily pleasures. You will add up all these losses and then you replace them with only death and Christ. And if and when you do that, you joyfully say, gain, then Christ is magnified in your dying. Christ is most magnified in your death when you are so satisfied in Christ that losing everything and getting only Christ is gain. Friends, this is, this is so challenging. Do, do you see dying truly as gain? Man, this, is, this has challenged me this week because I often I realize I don't think of, of dying as gain. It forces you to wrestle with questions like this. If God takes my spouse, is it gain for them? Sometimes, man, I, I remember one time, I just, Jen, when we were living in Maryland, she, she was going to visit somebody at the hospital. She like fainted and they didn't know what was going on. And so they got me out of class and we drove down to the hospital. I didn't know what we were in for. And I heard some discouraging things and we're waiting to see this ER doctor. And I remember fear just gripping me in a way that I've never felt before. Listen, Paul, Paul feels that. <laughs> I think Paul doesn't feel that. I think maybe he doesn't hear the chants of the Colosseum, and yet he looks death in the faith and says, you are a boat that carries me to Jesus, and so I consider death nothing more than gain. It is better for me to depart and be with Christ. Stack up all the world has to offer against Christ, I pick him. See, dying is only gain if we believe that Christ is all. If our longings are bound up Christ. Friends, this is what I've been wrestling with. I think if we are fearful of death, unduly fearful of death, perhaps it is because we fear losing something when we gain Christ. That one thing, oh man, I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to see that. I've always wanted to be there for that. Well, I love experiencing that. I don't know what's going beyond. Paul doesn't know everything, but he knows Christ is gonna be there. And friends, the more our longings are bound up with Christ, the better that being with Christ sounds. Dying is gain if Christ is all. But second, living is Christ when Christ is all. That perspective shapes everything Paul does. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. See, Paul could sum up the whole point of his life, his whole goal, his whole aim, everything he wanted in one word, Christ. That means he did everything he did for Christ informed by Christ. And Paul wasn't using hyperbole. 
He said, great, if I'm still alive, you know what I can do? I can be fruitful and advance the cause of Christ. See, Paul is not just saying this. This isn't just rhetoric to him. This is his life. He gave up his ambition and his career and made his career advancing the cause of Christ. He changed his whole community and was shunned by his former community to take up the cause of Christ. He changed how he spoke as one of the most brilliant men to to leave the gospel unadorned and simple so that people could grasp it for the cause of Christ. Friends, this is probably one of the greatest thinkers in the the history of the world. Certainly in in the thousand years that he, thousand years around when he lived, he could have put his mind to any use and yet he spends his days going from town to town, enduring beatings, never having a home, getting ready to die because of Jesus. See, to him, to live is Christ. It's like, what do I want out of life? It's Christ, that's what I want. Paul did not hedge his bets. It was not life is Christ plus money or standing or comfort. It was just life is Christ. He went all in on this. And you see how the the two perspectives work together. He's like, okay, listen, if if I'm gonna begin an eternity with the Lord where I get Jesus, my new perspective on life is, what can I do right now to experience more and more of Christ and to magnify him more and more in eternity? That It totally changes your value system, doesn't it? What, What matters this week? What matters this month? What matters this year? What are your goals, right? Paul's like, listen, This is it, Christ. I make him look great in my life and the lives of people around me, and that matters in eternity. That's what I'm going all in on. You know, I was reading, I was listening to a radio story because if if you watch the news, there's there's been this period of time, I think it's gone down a bit, but there's been a period of time where Bitcoin just has boomed, right? So if you're one of the people that bought Bitcoin, this like fake digital currency, it's not fake, it's a real digital currency, sorry. I'm like letting my opinion of it get inserted, but... (laughs) It's this digital currency that's not backed by any government. And essentially, uh, they did a story where somebody years and years ago wanted to like buy something using Bitcoin, kind of for the heck of it. And so they, they went on like one of these dark web things and they bought some Bitcoin and they bought something else. And then years later, they heard a story about the value of Bitcoin. And they realized that when they bought the Bitcoin, in today's dollars, they bought the equivalent of like $300,000 worth of Bitcoin, right? Which was like 50, 60 bucks back in the day. And their thought was immediately, did I have any change, right? Like when when I bought the other thing, like did I have any change? And so they they do this whole radio story where they're digging through their old laptop and they find like two or three guys that are good at this. They're trying to trace what happened. Where's the, and they they can't find their digital Bitcoin wallet. And so they keep looking and keep looking and keep looking. And they find at the end of the story, they have like one hundredth of a Bitcoin and it's worth like 20 bucks. And they're like, ah. And you can just hear in their voice, I wish I had spent my life savings buying Bitcoin like 20 years ago. I wish I'd bought half of whatever I'd bought, right? Because knowing the future, man, I wish I could go back in time and change. Friends, this is in real time for us. Paul does know the future. You know the future. The future is not a mystery. What will matter in 100 years is not a mystery. 
And Paul is saying, listen, in light of that, I am all in on this. I'm not going to like do 90% Christ, 10% my comfort. It is all in on this. John Piper again says this, Christ is worth more than life. Christ is worth more than falling in love. Christ is worth more than marrying and having children. Christ is worth more than seeing my children grow up and become independent. Christ is worth more than making a name for myself. Christ is worth more than finishing my career. Christ is worth more than the dream spouse and the dream house and the dream cruise and the dream retirement. Christ is worth more than all my unfinished plans and dreams. See, when I hear that, there's two things that go into my heart. The first one is, man, that sounds so hard. But there's another part of my heart, friends, and I think there's a part of your heart that goes, yes, I know it's true. And for Paul, sitting in a Roman jail cell, he says, that's it. Christ is everything. So how would you summarize your life? Life to me is what? Look, if, if you're not a Christian, I want to talk to you just for a second, that, that, because there's something bugging you, right? I'm going to bet on this. You feel like you're missing out on something. You feel like there's something more meaningful that's around the corner that you can never quite put your finger on. And maybe when I talk like this, the Christ is better than this and better than that, you're thinking, whoa, that sounds insane. But I know something about you. Deep down, you have a longing for more. Because even at the highest pleasures of this life, in that very moment, you've experienced some emptiness. And you're thinking, man, what? What, what is supposed to go there? Friends, this is what the Bible's good news to you is today. You were created to be with God forever in joyful eternity. That's a longing much deeper than anything in this world around us can satisfy. The bad news is that your sins separate you from the eternity that you long for. But the good news is that Christ died for your sins so that you could be brought into that so that you could see the surpassing worth of God in Christ and rejoice. It is so worth it, friends. Your choice today is simple. On eternity, on, you've got two eternities that are staring at you. The first eternity is where you simply bear the judgment of what you've done in this life. On the other side is an eternity where you do not bear what you deserved, but get what Christ deserved and one for you. And you today can believe in Christ. But it, it's costly. I'm not going to lie. It is costly. Jesus himself said, count the cost. But it is so worth it. This letter has endured because Christians of generation and century after century have declared this is true and clung to it. Now, if you're a Christian today, Gordon Fee is going to talk to us for a minute. He says this, too often for us, it is for me to live as Christ plus work or leisure or accumulating wealth or friendships. And if the truth were known, all too often, the plus has become our primary passion. For me to live is my work, etc. Both our progress and joy regarding the gospel are altogether contingent on whether or not Christ is our primary singular passion. So ask yourself, would you be willing to change your career for Christ? To move somewhere you don't want to go for Christ? To stay somewhere that you don't want to stay for Christ? Would you be willing to love people you don't want to love for Christ or give up relationships with others for Christ? Would you be willing to hand Christ the remote 
and control what shows you watch and websites you visit? Would you give Christ control of how much money you spend and on what and what kind of a car you drive, what kind of house you live in? Look, I think, especially with, with, I'll just say my generation in particular, we often approach life like this, right? We see the Bible and God in our Christianity as providing sort of as fencing off sections of life. Like, okay, you're not allowed to go there. That's obviously sin. But whatever you want to do, you could just do, just stay inside the fence, right? And sometimes you go up to the fence and you look over the fence, you're like, oh man, looks so good. But I got to stay inside the fence or I'm going to go to hell, you know? Like, it's just, right? This is what, this is what you think. This is, the, and I think Paul gives us an entirely different picture. Think of that. Instead of a fence thing, think of this. Think of a journey, right? And we have this map. And it leads us onward and onward and onward. And we don't know what this turn will take or what's over that mountain or how to get across this river. But we do know at the very end, there is a city with foundations whose builder is God. And all too often, instead of, instead of following wholeheartedly Christ on this journey, we're, we're taking detours of like, well, I think I'll get there eventually, but let me just, let me, I just need to take a minute over here, Right? See, for Paul, it was all in. It was all or nothing. He's getting there no matter what. That's what Christ, that's what Paul's radical perspective is. Second, these two sections will go quick. Second, so buckle up. What does it look like to live like this, right? What does it look like to live this day to day? This is big and like heady, but what does it look like to live this? A couple things that are just sketched out here, filled out by the rest of the New Testament, but a couple things sketched out here. First is rejoicing despite suffering. Paul starts this section with, yes, and I will rejoice. He will rejoice through hardship and pain and loss. Why? He did this because around every turn, as he followed Christ, he got more of Christ. In other words, the more that Paul sacrificed for Jesus, the more of Jesus he got, and what he ultimately wanted was Jesus anyway. Right, so the stuff he's giving up to get the thing he wants doesn't seem like a loss. He's like, that's what I want anyway. Fine, great, let go of this and get more of that. I'll take that trade any day. Paul's unshakable joy, the reason this letter written from prison is the happiest book of the Bible is that Paul's joy is not, take, is not dependent on anything that can be taken away from him. Paul's joy is based on something despite all that life throws him throws at him, only gets more and more and more joyful. It doesn't mean, friends, there's no sorrow. In 2 Corinthians 6.10, Paul says that we are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. It doesn't mean that he doesn't hurt, he doesn't cry, he doesn't feel, doesn't. Friends, life is hard. And it would be, it would be an act and a mask for us to think, I'm just never gonna feel sorrow. Oh, Paul felt sorrow. But he says, yet always rejoicing. See, in this life, following Christ does not mean that we will never have sorrow. It means that we have the ability to always rejoice through it. You know, at my wife, Jen's church she, that she grew up attending, I was there for a couple of years. There was a family there who had a severely disabled child who was essentially confined to a wheelchair, couldn't do anything for himself. And yet this family was one of the most joyful families I had ever met. And I didn't understand it until I was invited to go to their house for dinner. They, had, they, were, they were super smart, super cool people, invited me over for like a book club night. 
And I could see, man, this, this wasn't a mask that they put on. It was that wheeled their son in every Sunday. This was the way they lived. Because at the dinner table, their son would do something funny or something amusing, and they would laugh. And there were other times that he did something concerning, and you could, you could tell the way that it wore on them. And yet they rejoiced. They rejoiced in, in good books. They rejoiced in strong tea. They rejoiced when their son had a good day and not a bad day. Because even though there was sorrow every day of their life, they still looked through the eyes of Christ and found joy, knowing that this, this service only gets us more of Christ. And there'll be a day that my son will walk again. Right? That's how they approached life. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing if Christ is all. Second is courage in the face of fear. He said, Paul says, prayers with full courage that he will stand for Christ. See, being a prisoner in the Roman world was shameful. It called into question Paul's credentials and his work. He's probably one of the greatest minds to ever live, and yet he's getting mocked. He's the butt of jokes in Rome. At the trial he's going to go to, he's going to have no power whatsoever. He's going to be facing the full might of the Roman Empire. And yet he says, I'm going to stand with full courage. How can he do this? Because he knows that whatever happens will only result in either him glorifying Christ or getting Christ. Right? To live is Christ. To die is to get more of Christ. Neither of those are a bad outcome. So he can look down the barrel of death and say, what? I love, I wish we could go there, but in 1 Corinthians 15, read that this week, where Paul mocks death. And he says, oh, death, where is your victory? Right? He can look down the barrel of death and mock it because he thinks you're a boat. <laughs> for all of your teeth, for all of the, the, the people in the world that are afraid of you, you're my boat to take me to the thing I want. I don't care. This is, this is why Paul had full courage. Not, listen, and it wasn't that he never felt fear but that there was a presence of a persistent courage that came from knowing that Christ was everything. One of my favorite theologians, John Wayne, once said that courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway, right? I just love that that's Paul's attitude. He's like, yup, I don't really want to get torn apart by lions in front of a cheering crowd, but if that's what we're going to do, we're going to do that. I I will never forget the example of the people and pastors at Gracia Soberana, our sister church in Ciudad Juarez. I mean, their pastors would come and, and preach occasionally during that time, and they told stories. And listen, at the height of drug violence, when their city was essentially turned into a war zone, that church, those men, those women did not stop preaching the gospel, even when they were directly and specifically opposed. Hoping God, oh my soul, he is strong in the entire Bible or encountered it for the first time today on Better News Radio, you can learn about true joy from the happiest book in the Bible. This book, the book of Philippians, shares just how this joy can be accessed and how it's only possible through the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Would you like to know more about who Jesus is and how you can find the joy that he offers? Then please give us a call 
you can reach us at 915-562-7100. That number again is 915-562-7100. We'd also like to point you to a free online book answering questions that you might have. It's called Better News, and it's written by Pastor Ricky. Find it online at betternewsradio.com. Download and read it when you have some time, and feel free to share it. We'd like to encourage you also to join a local church. This will provide you a stable home base for your spiritual growth and a new family to support and encourage you. If you happen to be in the El Paso area, please come visit us at Cross of Grace Church. We meet each Sunday, and we'd love to have you be a part of our time of worship and Bible study. You can find directions and service times online at betternewsradio.com. Just click on church. We're so excited to meet you. Thanks for tuning in today to Better News Radio. We pray you continue to be blessed by what you hear and that you'll meet Jesus personally today. Join us next time for more from the happiest book in the Bible, Philippians, right here on Better News Radio.